This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Yeah. So Charles is literally playing with two turntables and a bunch of controls in the middle, and oh, is actually this one? making music and DJing this one, yeah. right just, now. Yeah. Just to be clear, he's interacting in oh, virtual go. reality with this instructor who's, who's over the other side in of the San Francisco. Oh, cool. Can virtual reality turn us all into DJs? Founder Tom Palameni thinks so. He's here raising a million dollars for his startup, Tribe XR. It's an app that lets people use VR to learn from real live DJs. The investors have some serious reservations though. They're not sure if he's using VR in the most profitable way. Let's see if Tom can convince them that DJing is the right spin on virtual reality. I'm Josh Muccio, and from Gimlet Media, this is The Pitch. Our investors today, Sarah Downey. Sarah is new to the pitch. She used to run her own company. Now she's a partner at Accomplice and an angel investor making bets on early stage startups. Phil Nadell. As a serial entrepreneur, Phil built companies that sold for hundreds of millions. Now he manages one of the largest syndicates on AngelList. Charles Hudson. Charles started Precursor Ventures, where he's invested 20 million in over 100 startups to date. Michael Hyatt. Michael built and sold two software companies for over 500 million, and now he invests for himself. All right, here's the pitch. So hi, I'm Tom. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Tribe XR. I'd like you to think back to your childhood. So before you became VCs and angel investors. I'm sure you had aspirations of being a singer, maybe a movie producer. Sir, I imagine you wanted to be a world-class DJ. Still do. Excellent. Well, today we're going to give you that opportunity. So we've developed Tribe to enable people to realize their childhood dreams. Our platform harnesses virtual reality to enable people to create, to learn from live tutors, and then to share their creations with the world. We started with DJing because that's what we, as the founders, had always dreamed of doing. We're passionate music fans, and we've created a better way to learn. Tom's created a VR experience that connects users with teachers who appear in their headset along with virtual turntables and a soundboard so that anyone can learn to be a real DJ. Within 30 seconds of getting on Tribe, you get access to an equivalent of a $6,000 professional piece of DJ gear, you get live tuition, and you can access Facebook Live, Twitch, and other services. This is a huge opportunity. Within five years, we expect that the immersive training market will be in, in a region of $30 billion, and Tribe is building the platform to underpin that. So we are raising a million dollars at a $7 million pre-money valuation. And uh, Charles, I believe that you've been selected as the demo today, so I'd love to invite you up and show you a live demo. So Great. just explain the demo. Um, 
We have a tutor who's currently in San Mateo on the other end. His name's Ozan. He's going to give you your first DJ lesson. So I'm going to give you okay. the hand controller here yeah. and the other hand controller here. Tom gets Charles outfitted with the VR gear while Michael and Phil narrate the action. Yeah, so Charles has the headset on and the hand controllers, and he looks like he's going to play on this virtual DJ board and is interacting with it. So Charles is actually fist bumping a guy who's in San Mateo who's going to be doing DJing with. Wow, okay. He's, he's spinning the round top, spinning the record. Yep. All right, Charles yep. is cranking the tunes here, already. Whoa. Okay. Charles is moving to the music, too. <laughs> so Charles is literally playing with two turntables and a bunch of controls in the middle and is actually making music and DJing right now. As it turns out, Charles is a natural. And before long, he's actually DJing, mixing songs. And just as Charles is beginning to feel like he's running the dance floor on some big club on Ibiza, his DJ lesson ends. He rejoins the investors and describes what it was like. It felt like being a DJ. Like, to move the knob, you have to move the knob. You don't just click on the knob and it moves for you. So it gives you the sensory experience. On a scale of 1 to 10, how impressed were you with it? Uh, you've seen other VR before. Uh, eight. We just saw this amazing demo and Charles was in there interacting with another person. But what's the business here? Yeah, start from start from the beginning. Sure. So the business is immersive training. We've built a platform that trains people quicker in VR than equivalents in the real world. What you've seen there is live one-to-one -one interaction with a tutor without the need to go to a studio. And you've got a, a medium here that enables people to kind of really open up and experiment and learn what they really are interested in. And it removes frictions and barriers to that learning. Just for DJing? Just for DJing. The number one thing that people often suggest to us is to go and train people for industrial applications. I've never worked on an oil rig. A lot of those type of applications are essentially production for industry. We wanted to build a platform that enables people to create. This question from Michael, just DJing? It turns out that it's a real sticking point for the investors. They want to know if DJing is the best use of VR. Here's Phil. Can you go back for a second as to of course. And explain further why you chose the creative sphere rather than uh, the industrial sphere? When we built uh, Tribe, we wanted to build something that we ourselves were going to use that solved a problem for us because it's always best when you wake up in the morning, you go to work and you feel that you're building something that's going to change the world for yourselves and for other people. I am getting excited about the idea of VR training. You got me on that one. Yeah. But then you choose DJing and I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, it's cool. 10 out of 10, but sure. moneymaker, I don't get it. Think, think less cool than what you're doing. Why does it have to be less cool? Well, you know, I'm trying to step away from, I'm trying to, like, I, I sometimes, you know, the boring nuts and vaults, you know, non-sexy businesses are just ridiculously profitable. So why did you choose that one as like the hotspot to make money? It's a much bigger market than you would think, number one. So there's an estimated 100 million DJs around the world. Not only that, but if you look at the way that the world acts every day, like people listen to music all the time. Yeah, but why do you think DJs would pay for training? Well, they do already. Really? People spend a lot of money on this. This is a high, you know. Without this app right now, you're telling me DJs go out and hire other DJs to train them. And Correct. It's a, it's a big money maker. 
So just give you an example. We went and we signed up to DJ school in San Francisco. Okay. It's always fully booked. It's $800 for an eight-week course, two hours per week. We got there on day one and they said, oh, can you go and buy this $400 piece of equipment? So you're $1,200 in before you've even started. So again, yeah. split the page in two. Sure. It was 800 bucks for a night course, plus yeah. you have to buy the equipment. What does that all cost? So that at least 1200 And for the professional-grade equipment that Charles just tried, $6,000. Okay, so I'm literally not a DJ. I want to become a DJ now and Correct. I come to you. Tell me the costs and what happens. So it's, it's pretty simple. So right now... It requires that you have a virtual reality headset. There's a very simple reason. You need two hands. You need to be able to move around in a room. So that's a thousand bucks. It's fifteen hundred. It is until. So I'm let's go. Pull up my prop now. This is Tom pulls out a different VR headset than the one Charles wore during the demo. That was one of those thousand dollar plus headsets. But the one Tom is holding now is a pre-release version of the Oculus Quest that's set to come out this spring for the low, low price of four hundred dollars. And a lot of VR fanatics think that this headset could be the breakthrough they've all been waiting for. This is going to change the market. And the reason it's going to change the market is because up until now, VR has been a peripheral. So you need a $1,000 laptop, you need a $400 headset, you need a computer science degree to troubleshoot it. You know, that's kind of what we've been dealing with. These problems are going to go away because that's an out-the-box VR experience that works with what we're doing. So you're going to spend $400. Our app currently is $15. Okay, now I come to you, I buy this $400, $400 headset. $15 for our platform. Okay. And you can pay $30 to $50 for a half hour lesson. And we take 20% on that. That's our model. Where do you make money, money? So where do we make money? I think if you have a teacher and they're charging $400 a week times say 50 weeks a year, that's about $20,000 a year that they can make. If we're taking 20% as a take rate, you scale that to 1,000 teachers, you've got a $4 million a year net revenue business. That's not a good business. It's In what way is it not a good business? Four million bucks is still... No, I'm saying if you get to $1,000... I'm just responding no, to your I, numbers. And, I'm not, no, I, and, and I don't care, don't take that I don't care about four way. million in revenue if that's your no, market size. So this is not a four million revenue business. This is a market-leading business. What are your next applications? Sell me on sure. those. DJing is our first application. So from DJing, the other half of the coin for DJing is music production. And by music production, it's kind of taking DJing and expanding it, giving people a virtual studio, allowing them to create music. So we see that as the first natural adjacent step. And then beyond that, moving into sort of broader creative skills. So if you've ever looked at masterclass.com, mm -hmm. it teaches you performance arts. So film production, it teaches you acting, it teaches you mm -hmm. um, music production, things like games. It's, it's really practical skills training. But what you're doing is you're watching videos. You're watching, you know, Chef Ramsay teach you how to, you know, chop. That's not what we want to do. We, we actually want to teach you by doing, learn by doing, Yeah, not but by the watching. economics of that model is that Chef Ramsay collects 125 bucks per head and he never sees anybody and it's a one-to-many relationship. You sure. are still a one-on-one -on -one where the other person has to consume uh, their person hours times rate, which sure. is back to a service model, which is an inefficient model that lawyers and accountants and everybody else are desperate to get out of. Michael's worried that Tom doesn't get it. Can Tom convince the investors that there's actually a business here? That's after the break.
This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. We talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on the show, and one thread that connects them all, they're not just pitching their business, they're pitching themselves. Because small business owners know that their business is more than just a company, it's their whole life. And State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, and they know what it takes. They can help you choose personalized policies that fit your budget. That's the personal touch. That's small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back. When we left off, it was Michael grilling Tom about the economics of his business plan. Here's act two. Is there anything you could be doing which is way more expensive and way more disruptive? Like, is there something training across the country that pays a way higher rate per hour that you could just crush? Talking about money and talking about making money, isn't there... You're saying, I'm going to take an expert in, in, in one part of the country and train somebody else, and we don't have to get on a flight and do all those things. This is really appealing business. Mm-hmm. But what's the juicy $500,000 an hour thing you can really crush? What is it? Just being clear, part of the problem with VR is like the potential is endless. I think it's probably fair to say everyone in the room realizes that VR at some point is going to be a big market. It's good, you know, the exact inflection point at which it goes is still a little bit uncertain. But given that, there's a huge amount of opportunity. And what we see is that we are using DJing as a first test case because it's a significant enough test market with significant enough crossover with early VR adopters. And it's a highly passionate creative audience. And Our customers use our products a lot. So two hours a week on average. So that's four sessions of 30 minutes. So how many users do you have now? Um, So far, we've trained, I think, about three or 4,000 users. So that's around, you know, $1,200 to $1,500 of revenue, and that's rising every single month. So where does a million dollars take you? Um, It gives us 24 months of runway. So we're currently burning, at, at current gross burn, we're burning 50K a month. We're based in the Bay Area. So that's, if you know the, I'm that's sure really you cheap. That is. Yeah. Why is it so cheap? Because we're experienced founders and we realized that given the state of the VR market currently, the most important thing to do is to keep things lean, focus on high quality delivery and make sure that we conserve money so that when the market starts to go, we can double down. When we're talking about the VR market, like I think we all buy that that immersive learning is going to be big. Yeah. That's Sarah Downey, the newest investor on the show. She knows a ton about VR. Can you paint a picture of how big the market size could be for you, even if you just stay in creative? It feels yeah. like you care about DJing, yeah. you know, you care about the creative side. It almost feels to me like your heart wouldn't be in it if you were doing like the oil rigs. And that's a whole different problem that there's whole sets of teams of startups trying to solve right now. So, Correct. Yeah. So just on the creative side, like, can you give me a number? Sure. So it's totally feasible that you, you can have half a billion, a billion people who want to learn these type of skills. And currently, they're very poorly served. Can, can you walk us through the, the unit economics sure. of what it costs to acquire a customer and how much lifetime value you'll get from them? Okay, so at the moment, we're not really spending any money on marketing. So instead, what we're doing is we're partnering directly with the companies that own the app stores, so the sort of Oculus and HTC and people like that, because your placement within the app store is critical to the volume of sales that you have. And then we focus massively on live streaming because live streaming gives us access to a global audience. 
This thing about streaming your DJ lesson online on places like Twitch and Facebook Live is critical to how TribeXR plans to get the word out and grow its business. Can you go back for a minute to how you, you, you said that you're acquiring customers for free? Yeah, uh, so how, how we spent, that? I think, like $1,000 experimenting with Facebook, and it's great for awareness, but it's bad for conversions. So we find that PR partnerships with the app stores and um, using Twitch and other streaming platforms is much more effective. So we have VR streamers who stream every day. So we have one guy who plays two radio, kind of radio station type experiences per week. He has something like 100 to 120 concurrent listeners for a four hour performance. That's four hours in our app. And whenever he streams, we get purchases. Like people see it, they ask about it, and he's talking whilst he's DJing. And so this is kind of, for us, it's free marketing. We just make Aren't it easy for him, him to stream. No. What, why would we need to? No. I don't feel like I'm getting the answers to a few oh, of the questions um, I asked earlier. You know, I'm trying to understand the lifetime value of a customer. Sure. And I don't know where, what your thinking is on that currently. Maybe it's too early to tell. Do you have a sense of it? We, we don't have enough data to give you a solid answer. Um, but our expectation is this, this is something that people stick with over time. And I think we're certainly seeing that with our early users. So, um, yeah, I, I can't give you a robust answer, but our expectations are we would expect that people would subscribe for a year at least. So I'm a super big believer in yeah. VR. Like I have an HTC Vive in my office. It was okay. a secular religious experience for me getting into that the first time. This looks really fun. Um, but the one-to-one -one thing worries me in the sense that like we're in a company called Gamer Sensei that's a platform for esports coaching. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't been as easy as we thought to connect people with these pros. Um, mm -hmm. And they're charging similar rates to what you're talking about. We've had more success with companies like Teachable that are one-to-many. So I, I'm having trouble, you know, for me, I have to believe that there's a path to a really big market. And if you fail, that's fine. I just want you to like swing for it. And I, because I don't see the path to how this gets really big, it's a pass for me. Okay. Thank you. I've spent a lot of time in VR. And the one thing I've learned about VR is I think there's a lot of apps that have been unsuccessful because they're actually not better in VR. They're okay. actually better in any other medium. In the real world, 2D, whatever it might be. Having seen the demo, this is one of the first things I've seen. That I'm like, this is actually better in VR. So I'm comfortable with the one-to-one -one model. And I, I suspect at scale, you will have different SKUs, that there will be a, to Michael's point, there will be a, the one-to-one -one will become the premium product. You one-to-one -one with an instructor, that will cost, that will not cost $15 a month. It will be much more expensive. There will be a small group, there'll be a large group, there'll be a variety of offerings. And I think the one of the big things that's holding VR back right now is there aren't enough really good experiences where you'd want to get lost for an hour or two. And I think this could be one of them. So I had a rule before that we weren't going to do any more VR investing until the Quest comes out, because I do, like you, share the belief that it's going to be a game changer. But um, I'd like to invest $50,000 in this round. I think you've got something really special in terms of engagement and what I know about VR stats. The amount of engagement you're seeing would put you in the, the very upper echelon of, of developers today. Thank you. That's fantastic. Charles is in for 50000 Next up, Michael. I like a number of things about this pitch and about you. I like when entrepreneurs start with saying they're solving something, a problem they had. I think that's another nice checkbox. I love the idea of VR training. 
I think that just naturally sounds like where we're going to go. I think hardware and the whole VR experience has really lagged, but let's be honest, so is quantum, so is AI, crypto, like all of them haven't quite done exactly what the markets thought. But I think that you're you're in the right track. Um, what I don't like is that I don't buy the use case. I think first I have to buy that uh, these VR headsets are going to get really, really big and it's had trouble getting off the ground. And number two, that this is the use case with enough money in it. So for those reasons, I'm going to pass. Michael's out. Here's Phil. I love the idea of training via VR. I think that's huge. There's a huge opportunity there. I'm not sure about the one-to-one model. I'm not sure that that's the way to go, but I do see that you may have a lot of skews, like Charles said, uh, going down the road. And, and whether you pivot or not to something completely different or just add skews that add a lot more LTV, maybe that's the answer. But it's it's maybe too early for us right now, and so I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This Thank was you good. Thank, Thank you. you. Before Tom leaves the studio, all the investors give TribeXR a try. Then Tom packs up and takes off. Once he's gone, I join the investors to ask them a few questions I had while listening to the pitch from the control room. So what'd you think of that? Cool. I like that one. I think it was fun. But now my feeling is that exactly what was in the pitch, which is that the guy teaching me was really great. And that's a lot of work and that's a laborious job and that's going to be expensive. So I'm coming back to now my thesis of the one-to-one, it, they, they don't have enough money in that interaction to make this a scalable business yet. Yeah, I, I, I love about. VR training mm-hmm. and I want him to tell me that he can charge 250 bucks an hour for something. Well, Charles, you invested. Yeah. Why do you, do I you think, see it differently? I, th- I think he's going to figure out very cool. I think I generally bet with the assumption that the things that are unknown will be solved to my satisfaction. I think Michael's right. Like, I think that the single instructor, just you and him, will become a premium skew, and they'll have to charge 50 or 75 bucks for it. And if you really want that, you'll pay it, and then they'll have a, for 25 bucks an hour, you, it's you and three other students. And I think it's totally be worth recorded. it. I mean, what you could get from a great DJ across yeah. the country on that for 75 bucks, amazing. Or even, mm-hmm. I don't even think, you don't need Tiesta. I mean, you just need someone who's better than you are to teach you. Yeah, and but having good, Tiesta would be awesome. Yeah, like, I mean, like, you could have Tiesta and have, right. like, $1,000 for, like, 10 minutes. To me, I, my bet was, like, this is entertainment. Like, this is, to me, more entertainment than, like, training, per se. Like, this is something you would do because it's fun and it's a new skill you could learn. I do think for entertainment, it's more interesting, especially because there, there's the whole social wall with the chats. We didn't really talk about that, but that's an interesting integration with Twitch. Um, like a lot of people are playing Fortnite not to play the game, but to hang out. And that I think is actually more interesting because it, it, the market for VR training is quite saturated right now. And I, I don't think you can just say, well, we're doing DJing now, but later we'll do oil rigs. It's a whole, di- everything, the go-to-market, the, the way you design the product is all different. So I think if they stick with DJing, it would be more of an entertainment use case, and it could be big, but I don't think the numbers are there yet. Well, one of the problems with that in this company is that I think he's got like at least a six-month delay before the headset comes out. So, you know, will he be able to get... Oh, you to- have to bet that that works out. So right. what if that headset comes out and 
it doesn't really sell that well. And by the way, then how the hell? So how does many he headsets money? have come out, yeah. and th this is somewhat different in, in the, the sense that it's a, a lower price point, and Oculus is really the is leader. Is four bucks cheap enough? What do you I think? I don't think so. Is there potential for um, pe people to continue using it without ever buying a deck, in, as an example, and just come home after work for once or twice a week and do this for an hour, and as a way to you know enjoy yourself, but not ever buying a deck, which would mean a, a better, higher lifetime value with the product, because once someone gets a deck, they're going to probably use this less. Yeah, I think the problem with entertainment products is it's hard to know the LTV because yeah. they're fun and it's not pure utility, so why people stick. I don't know. I think he's going to figure out how to record some of these sessions and he'll have some DIY stuff like, hey, for 15 bucks, you get access to the full library of DIY, no instructor, no live instructor, but pre-recorded. And there's just a bunch of other things. And, and more than anything, I like VR and anyone who I can find that does. I mean, the one secret fact that, that Tom knows and I both know, I'm an investor in a company that does analytics for VR apps. And like the level of engagement that he has is significantly higher. It's actually his, his level of engagement on the, the level of usage and engagement that he's seeing for this product based on what he said would put him in the upper echelon. What does that measure? Like what are the terms of hours spent oh. per user per unit of time? Oh, is that mm -hmm. so people don't spend a lot of time in VR, in VR because yeah. you get sick. Uh, it's disorienting. It's there boring. hasn't been a killer use case yet. There's all kinds of problems living, with hardware. You have to eat. You have yeah. to do other things. You, know. <laughs> you have to live in the you real world. It's frustrating. You know, yeah. Yeah. You have to take a shower once a week, you know. I think I think when yeah. you when you try a VR like what I just experienced, um, my thought was this is cool, but I want to get out. Like I didn't mm -hmm. enjoy being in that space for that long. I mean, ten minutes to me seemed like enough. Okay, I now want to want to go see That's the real world. That's the downside world. of this, right? Is that immersion can be amazing, but it can also really suck and be claustrophobic. Like poor VR experiences are. Are like, could you do that for one hour straight? But that I, wasn't I could, a poor VR experience. No, but that was, yes. Yeah, so yes, but, but could, could the, you take a one-hour lesson in that? I feel like my VR tolerance goes up the more I do VR, mm -hmm. and so, like, yeah. I could see an hour. I couldn't see two hours, but I can't think of many things in an immersive experience that I would do for two right. hours with no ability to do anything else. Yeah, it's not at the level where you're on the couch and you're playing Skyrim and the, the whole day goes by and yeah. you don't know where yeah. it went. Like, Tell there's a bad. physical object But when object you're playing a video head. game on a big screen, your head can still turn, you can still see the yeah, world plus you're standing and it's, it's just it's more it takes a lot out of you like when did you guys notice when you when you come out of that and you take it's, the headset shock, off you're like yeah. where am i yeah. who am i it's a relief what to get it off this? though yeah i like getting that thing off my head when we come back producer heather rogers asks tom what if tribex are is just a bad idea This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. Small business owners know that it's not just business, it's personal. Your business is your life, and State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, so they know what it takes. They can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. And they live and work in your community. So you're not just getting an insurance plan, you're getting that personal touch. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back. Producer Heather Rogers caught up with Tom about two months later to find out what happened with TribeXR after the pitch. And she brought up the fact that his business is tied pretty closely to the Oculus Quest, a headset that's coming out uh, this spring. By the way, 
it's made by a company that's owned by Facebook. So Heather wanted to know... What's it like for your business to be based on this other business? Um, I think everyone's business these days is based on someone else's business. Obviously, the But you risk... have a lot writing on it. Your whole business model, right? Uh -huh. For it to work, like these headsets have to be affordable. Yeah. For you to be able to scale. It, yeah, but they're going to be affordable this year. So we know that. So the, the release date for Quest is set for spring. Mm -hmm. The price is going to be 399 And that's because these companies are subsidizing that hardware to seed the market. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what this happens is, this when is they happen. stop subsidizing the market? What's going to happen to your business? I don't think Facebook is going to run out of money anytime soon. <laughs> um, and I think they have an extremely vested interest in owning the next social media platforms. And so I think the reason that they acquired Oculus was because they see VR and as being the next social platform. This is just going to be a part of day-to-day -day life over the next five to 10 years. So we, we, yeah, I don't think it's a question of will this happen. Mm -hmm. I think it's a question of when will it start to happen at scale. And that's what we're betting on. Okay, I want to take you back to what happened right after the yep. pitch meeting. Okay, so on the day of the pitch, obviously you come here with nerves. I First of all, I'd never been on any sort of public recorded pitch like this before. I've spoken at various events, mm -hmm. but it's different being, um, for want of a better word, interrogated about your business publicly. Yeah. But to go into the room, you know, you have four people seated in front of you and you have to stand up. And so so that was all, it takes you outside of your comfort zone, but if anything, you know, the adrenaline kicks in and it was, it was exciting. I had a really great time. Um, the investors were all lovely. They asked very nice questions. Um, yeah, nobody it, like was like, what are you doing? Why? It, I think um, this, isn't, this isn't Shark Tank. They're not trying to take 50% of your business for 100K. These are like qualified investors who make a lot of, and I'm not saying that Shark Tech investors aren't qualified, but these are investors who make investments in companies like ours on a regular basis. And I think it, you know, they asked some cutting questions, but my biggest concern coming into this was that, you know, there's still some investor questions around the state of the VR market in general. Mm -hmm. So you can build the best business in the VR market and you're always going to have market questions. That's just the nature of being early. But what I found was they actually all, all understood the market pretty well. So that that helped, I think. So when they started asking you, like, why are you doing this for DJing? Yes. They kept hitting that point, sure. like from a couple different angles. Yeah. And like some of the ones who didn't invest, that was yeah. one of the reasons, because they were like, I don't see how you're going to make money off of this. Oh, I, I'm totally used to being questioned on everything. I think part of being a startup founder is that people always think that you're crazy until you execute well. So there's a fine line between being kind of off key or seeming like, you know, the problem that you're solving isn't a big thing to executing it well and people thinking that you've done a brilliant job. So, you know, if you read anything about the early days of Airbnb, for example, you know, everyone thought that the Airbnb founders were totally crazy. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the great ideas are non-obvious initially, and it's down to kind of how you execute them. So you know, this, this is something yeah. that's like, I think about a lot, yeah. which is like when you have a vision, you have something that you want to do, yeah. it might be bullshit. 
Like, it might not be a good idea. Definitely in the United States. Yeah. The ethos is like, you just keep going. You stay true to yourself. But sometimes it's just a bad idea. And so, like, right. if you're getting told no 90% of the time, yeah. how do you know it's actually a good idea? Um, there's a... <laughs> That's actually a very deep question because the reality is um, ideas are 10 a penny, execution is everything. And moreover, people will think that your idea is bullshit until you execute it brilliantly. And that's just normal. That's just part of need... the game. So how do you know when yeah. to give up on an idea? Um why would you give up on an idea? Because maybe it's not a good idea. Um, well, you, but what is an idea, ultimately? Your idea, you have to iterate your idea with your customers. So the whole point of building a startup is validating whether your idea is good or not, mm -hmm. and then tweaking your idea until it sticks, which is product market fit. So our job as a company is to hit product market fit. That's why we're raising money. At the point that you hit product market fit, and your business starts to kind of scale exponentially, you know, you're going to be kicking investors away from the door. There are going to be so many of them. That's just the nature of it. And this is just the process. And so, you know, there's a, I think it was Reid Hoffman said, you know, building a startup is like jumping out of a plane and then assembling another plane on the way down. <laughs> like that is literally how it feels. You know, you, you sort of start with a concept and then you develop that concept and you keep developing it and you don't give up on developing it. And when you give up on your startup, it dies. But the the strongest founders that I see just keep driving. They keep driving, keep driving, and you make the impossible happen. That's as a startup entrepreneur, that's your job. Your job is to to turn what is initially dismissed maybe by the majority of people as a crazy idea into something that's a global business. It's a tough job and it's not for everyone, but I think it's also possibly the most rewarding way that you can spend your life because ultimately you're building something that has meaning and that's really what drives us. Mm -hmm. It's a very profound. <laughs> <laughs> so Charles ended up investing. Yes. When you heard Charles say, I want to invest. Yeah. How did you feel in that moment? Um, I think it's always, uh, you always feel privileged and lucky when people invest. Even though it's your business, it's your baby. The fact that people, it's a vote of confidence in your vision and your team. And so, you know, I felt delighted. Obviously, you have to stay cool in that environment. And so when you left the pitch meeting, who was the first person you told that you got 50K? Um, so the first person I called was my wife. Because, you know, family first, uh -huh. as they say. Uh -huh. And also she she was, you know, she just said, call me straight away. Tell me. So I called her and, and you know, told her. And then... What would you say? I just said, I, I, I told her it was a disaster. I wound her up using my British humor. I said, oh, it was a disaster, you know. <laughs> and then I said, no, no, it was, it was fine. And we got a really good, great investor. And so she was she was excited. Um but uh, no, so we were we were delighted when he invested, and he then did some diligence on us. And post diligence, he he doubled the investment to 100k, which is great. And um, so we've we've now closed that, and we're really excited to have him on board. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when he said he was going to double his investment, yeah, were you expecting that? No. <laughs> so that was good. We came on the show and we got 100k of funding out of it, and that's fantastic. And especially with Charles being brilliant, you know, when you're in a startup, your funding gives you time to breathe. So every extra bit of funding that you get gives you more time to work out the solutions to the problems that you're solving. Like many founders, Tom is crazy enough to believe that his little idea might just turn into something huge. And so he jumped off that metaphorical plane. But luckily, he's not alone. Investor Charles Hudson joined him midair. And now they're building their own VR-fueled plane together. Is this metaphor still working? No? Okay. That's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Josh Muccio. We'll see you next week. Our show is hosted by me, Josh Muccio, produced by Heather Rogers, Kareem Maddox, and Molly Donahue. We're edited by Blythe Durrell. We're mixed by Enoch Kim, original music composed by The Musemaker, theme music by Breakmaster Cylinder. Lisa Muccio planned the recording of this pitch, and we discovered Tom and Palomeni through Adam Draper at Boost VC. So a huge thank you to Adam for the intro. Our disclaimer, no offer to invest is being made to or solicited from the listening audience on today's show. All right, you've been listening to The Pitch from Gimlet Media. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back with a brand new episode next Wednesday. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.